Uh, and uh, as we come into this Christmas season, um, you know, these, these are things that should be in the forefront of our mind. So I want to start by telling a little story. So there was this, there was this couple, and they had this home. It was their dream home. They'd, you know, they'd purchased a couple over the course of their marriage, and they finally uh, had their dream home. And it was a beautiful house, and it was backed up on a nice wooded lot. So if you looked out the window, you could just see the forest, and you see the trees, and you could sometimes see the deer moving around along the bottom. And, and so the, the husband, he just really, really enjoyed going out and, and looking out the window and just seeing the nature. Sometimes he'd sit out on the deck, uh, you know, but then sometimes you can't always sit out on the deck. Sometimes it's raining, sometimes it's cold, and so sitting out on the deck wasn't always possible, but he loved spending his quiet time with the Lord, uh, just looking out on nature and just being uh, with God and, and enjoying all that God had created. And so he went to his wife and he said, I've got an idea. He said, we've got this one wall on the back side of our house. And he said, I think we could take these windows, we could expand them, and then we would just be able to enjoy the view all the time. And so the wife, they talked about it because this wasn't going to be a small expense. And they, they finally agreed. They said, yeah, it'll, it'll, uh, it'll make this, this is our home. We're going to live here for the rest of our lives. We want to really enjoy it the way we should. So they, they called in the contractors. They spent a good amount of money and they blew out that wall that faced, uh, faced the forest and they put in floor to ceiling windows. All right, so, and, and at first they loved it, you know, because no matter what they were doing, day or night, they could just turn, look at that one wall, and you could look out and you could just see the beauty and the majesty of nature. They loved it. The problem was is that they had a dog that also enjoyed the view. So, uh, I don't know if any of you guys are pet owners, uh, but occasionally you will find some telltale signs that your pet has been there. And so this dog would like to, he, he liked to look outside, he might see a squirrel or a chipmunk or a deer running around out there, and so he would get right up on that glass and he would just put his nose directly on it. And as you know, put your nose on some glass, it's going to leave mark. So here they had spent all this money and all this time and this effort putting in these floor-to-ceiling windows... And, and yet, uh, every day when they walked into the living room or, you know, where this window was, all they could see was these snout marks where this dog had just been slobbering and snotting all over the windows. And so it became a source of frustration. Uh, actually, uh, the, the, the man got to the place where he said, I can't even enjoy the, the view because all I can see is just the snot smear from Fido over here. And, and it became the only thing that he could see. He would walk into the room and rather than seeing the beauty, rather than seeing the forest, rather than seeing the green and, or the, the, the beautiful leaves in the fall, all he saw was a smear of snot, right? And, and it became an issue for him. And so he decided, you know what? I'm in control of what I notice. You know, I'm going to just try to try to get myself to where I don't even notice the snot smear. So uh, he would walk in, and, and of course, you know, he would try to just put it out of his mind. I'm not even going to think about it. And he would look, and he would just say, "God, I just want to enjoy this nature, enjoy what what you have given us. You, you've given us this beautiful home on this beautiful land, a beautiful view, but there's the snot." And he just couldn't get it out of his head. And so eventually his solution was not to, to train himself to not notice the dog snot because he found that he just couldn't do it. What he ended up doing was he hired a trainer to train the dog not to put the, the, his nose on the glass. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, we, we get distracted by things and there are things that catch our attention and, and many things will fight for your attention. 
But if we're going to have a good life, if we're going to live the life that God desires for us, we have to learn how to direct our own attention. See, you can't control what pops into your head, but you can control what you focus on. And, and, and it's the same thing. Almost anything that comes along, you can look at the positive, you can look at the negative. You can, you can focus on the blessing in it, or you can look at the frustration in it. And, and we can get so lost in, in the distraction that it keeps us from seeing the blessing that God has for us. Well, we're entering a season that in the liturgical calendar is called Advent. Advent is, is from a Latin term. It just means coming, all right? And so this is a time when we prepare ourselves to celebrate and recognize the coming of someone. Who is that? That someone is Emmanuel, God with us. And so we're going to be looking at that today. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. So while you guys turn there real quick, uh, I just want to point out this name, Emmanuel, it doesn't come initially from the New Testament. It comes from the Old Testament. And so, uh, but we're going to see how Matthew picks up this name, this prophecy that was given in the Old Testament, and he learns that this should be applied to Jesus himself. And so Matthew, he, uh, when he tells his version of the Christmas story, he focuses on it from Joseph's perspective. He tells us what Joseph was thinking and how the angel came to Joseph and said, no, you don't have to divorce Mary. This, this baby is, is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and, and, and this is how things are going to play out. So he was giving us everything from Joseph's perspective. And, uh, and as um, Joseph began thinking about, well, how is this going to work out? Uh, it says in verse 20, uh, chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, it says, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So when I was a child and I read this, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because it said, okay, here they're telling us you should name him Jesus because that means he will save his people. Jesus is actually a form of the name Joshua, and, and that's literally what it means. Yahweh saves. And so, you know, I understood that part, but I said, I, I couldn't understand, well, well, why are they saying, you know, you're going to name him Jesus, but his name is Emmanuel? I didn't understand that. I thought, was that his middle name, right? I'd always heard his middle, name, middle initial was H, right? Uh, <laughs> but, but the point is, is that uh, it could be a little confusing. But what they were doing is they were taking this prophecy. See, when Jesus came, the, the early disciples, they had to figure out, what does this mean? And, and they had listened to him teach. And they had heard all the prophecies about the Messiah, and they were trying to look back at the Old Testament and see how can we find how Jesus fits into this. And so they began to see that this prophecy about Emmanuel, although it had a time and a place in the history of Israel, it also was looking forward to the coming of Christ. So this idea of God with us uh, is something that we don't pay a whole lot of attention to. Um, we're much more likely to pay attention to, uh, you know, when it says God is for us. We like that. that. That one comes easy for us. God is for me. And we'll, we'll go through scripture and we'll find different times where it says God is for you. He's working on your behalf. We'll look at Deuteronomy 3.22 where it says, You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. That sounds good. I don't even have to do the fight. I don't even have to get my hands dirty. God's going to take care of it for me. 
Or we look in, in Psalms where it says, Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. It's like, okay, yeah, God is on my team. He's rooting for me. He's pulling for my success. In Psalm 118, it says, The Lord is with me. I will not fear, for what can man do to me? All of this, we see that God is for us, and it's an encouragement to us. And then finally, we look at Romans 8.31. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Man, we like these verses. Man, I, I, I like it. Any, well, first of all, that's just easy, right? I don't even have to get into the battle, right? God's already got it under control. And we begin to look at God in different ways. You know, when you think about God being for you, you might look at him as your, as your patron or your sponsor, right? He's that guy who's up there and he's pulling the strings and he's lining things up and he's making the right introductions. He's working everything out for your good, right? And that's a comforting thought. We like that idea. Or we might think of God as, hey, he's, he's my posse, right? He's, he's got my back. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I remember when I was in grade school, I saw a couple fights, uh, and uh, it, it always bothered me, you know, when two people were, were getting in a fight, but then all their friends had to get in on it with them, right? It could never just be two people just working out their differences. No, it, it had, I have to bring my five or six buddies, you bring your five or six buddies, and we're going to turn this into a playground bra brawl. And, uh, and so, you know, we think sometimes, well, it's like that. God's my posse. He's got my back. If something, if somebody crosses me, God is going to protect me. Or we might think that God is just going to do the dirty work for us. Uh, I, I used to be a big fan of baseball when I was younger. I don't follow it as much anymore, but I remembered I didn't think it was very fair that the pitchers could just focus on pitching and they didn't have to worry about batting if they didn't want to. They could cheat and they could bring in a, a pinch hitter to do the work for them. I thought, well, that's not fair. If you're a baseball player, you ought to have to do the whole thing. You shouldn't be able to do part of it and then let somebody else do the, do the hard part for you. Uh, and, but, you know, we sometimes think about God like that, that he's my pinch hitter. When things get too hard, he's going to step in and he's going to take care of my problems. We love to think about this idea that God is for us. All right. That one, that one rolls off our lips so easy. And we also like the idea that God is in us, especially as Pentecostals. Oh, anything that talks about the spirit being in us. We love that. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances, ordinances. So notice that I will put my spirit within you. First Corinthians three sixteen says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? 2 Timothy 1.14, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And then, of course, Philippians 4.13, I can do all three things through him who strengthens me. We love to think about the Holy Spirit being within us and, and giving us power and giving us ability to do things uh, that, that seem beyond us. And, and so, again, we hold on to that, that God is in us. All right. And, and I remember when I was younger, uh, I was in, uh, I don't know if it was in kids church or at a, a youth camp or whatever, uh, but I remember someone was trying to describe to me what the Holy Spirit is and what it does for you. 
And uh, he gave me probably the worst theological statement I've ever heard in my life. But he compared the Holy Spirit to the little mushrooms you eat in Super Mario's, right? Uh, So it's like, yeah, you might be okay, you're Super Mario, but you eat that mushroom, it beefs you up, you get big, you get powerful, and you can do things that you couldn't do before because the Holy Spirit is empowering you. And and, uh, so while I, I applaud their effort to try and teach me about the Holy Spirit, that's probably not really what God was going for there. But um, we, we get this idea, and we love this idea that the Holy Spirit is within us, it is empowering us, it's allowing us to do things that we wouldn't be able to do on our own. As Pentecostals, we love signs and wonders. You know, we love those services where people are singing and, and the tears are flowing, the mascara is all the way down in your beard, right? Uh, you know, we love it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we love to hear stories of people being healed and, 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 and seeing these miracles where things happen where there's no explanation for this. It could only have been God, right? Only God could have made that mute person speak. Only God could have opened that blind person's eyes. Only God could have gotten that person up out of that wheelchair and healed their legs so that they could walk in. We love those things. Why? Because it allows us to point and say, look, God was at work in this place. And so we love to hang on to this idea of God in us, right? The Holy Spirit is awesome. And as Pentecostals, if you did away with the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't even want to come back, right? We love it that much. But something we don't think about as much is that God is not only for us and he's not only in us, but God is with us, all right? And, and, and so... That is what we're looking at today. This, this name, Emmanuel, it was important to Matthew. He pointed it out at the very beginning of his gospel. You know, sometimes I try to put myself in, in the place of the author that was writing whatever portion of the Bible it is. You know, sometimes it's uh, one of the prophets recording his prophecies, you know, for the, for the people so that it would be written down, so that it would be preserved for future generations. Uh, sometimes it's Moses writing down all the oral traditions, putting them down so that his people would have their story of God and, and know exactly this is what God did for us. This is how God brought us out of Egypt. And here we look at Matthew, who's sitting down to write the story of Jesus. You know, he's, he says, this is good news. Everyone needs to hear this news. I need to tell this story. And so what stood out to him? He pulled in this idea of Emmanuel, that God is with us. And so we see that. Emmanuel, God with us in 1, uh, verse 23, and then we see it at the end of the gospel as well. In fact, the very last words in the gospel of Matthew in 28, 20 is Jesus speaking to his followers, and he says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So uh, Matthew, when he writes this story, we can see that this was not just some throwaway idea. He actually bookends his gospel with this idea that God is with us. All right. Why is this important? Well, because he's writing to a congregation or to to a group of people who no longer had Jesus walking earth with him, with them. And and they had to understand, you know, what does it mean to say God is with us? Well, it's from the Hebrew term Emmanuel. Uh, It's it's a compound word, Emmanu, which means with us. And then who's with us? El, God. All right. And so it comes again out of Isaiah. It was a prophecy about uh, to, to King Ahaz to explain that God will be with you. The Israelites were under attack. Uh, they, they were not in a good place. And the prophet Isaiah came and delivered a message from the Lord and said, God will be with you. A child will be born. He'll be named Emmanuel as a sign to you that God is with you. So, and then 
Matthew takes that idea and he brings it forward. He says, hey, listen, that wasn't just for the Jews, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, which for him, it was hundreds of years ago. For us, it's now millennia ago, right? So it's not just that God was with them back then. He's with us now. And so we might say, well, that's a cool idea, Matthew, but what does it mean for me, right? Well, there's several things that we can take from this idea that God is with us. Well, first of all, it can give us a knowledge and an understanding of what's going on. And for some of us, that's very important. For some of us, we, we have to figure things out. We've got to think, think, think through all the, the ramifications. We've got to have all the answers. We've got to see how does this work for us. And, and so for us, that knowledge that God being with us was always a part of God's design for us. You look all the way back in the Garden of Eden. You look, God was in the garden with Adam and Eve. It didn't say that he just put them in there and he watched them like, you know, someone with an ant farm, right? It said that he came into the garden in the cool of the evening and he walked with Adam and Eve. That was God's design from the get-go. That was why he created us. You know, so many times we think, well, why am I here? What is the, what, what's the meaning of it all? You know, what's the purpose? You know, at, God made us and he created this world and he put us in this, in this world because he wanted to be with us. And so we see that, you know, that was always part of God's plan and God's design. And even after sin messed everything up, God still wanted to be with his people. And so he humbled himself to live in a tent when the Israelites were in the wilderness. He said, I will be with you. This tent, this tabernacle will be a symbol of my presence with you. All right, And then once they entered the promised land, and he, he gave them the instructions, build me a temple right, so that that can be the symbol of my presence among you. And so if you lived in Jerusalem and, and you wanted to know, is God here? All you had to do was look up on the hill and you saw the temple there and you knew that is a symbol of God's presence with us today. When Jesus came and he lived among us, God was with us then. He came down. He didn't leave us to our own devices. He came down onto this earth, dealt with all the things that we have to deal with, and he was with us in that. And then after he left, he sent us the Holy Spirit so that God still remains with us. So we see uh, this idea that God with us is something, it was part of God's plan all along. And we understand that in the future, someday, we will be with God once again face-to-face in heaven. And so for some of us, this idea that God is with us, it, it, it's, uh, it's a piece of knowledge. It's a, it's a puzzle piece that helps us figure things out. For others of us, it's, it's a source of comfort. All right. Uh, Psalm chapter 23, verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for, who, for what? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, again, I, I, I never really understood that when I was younger. How is the rod and the staff uh, going to comfort you? Uh, because the only other Bible verse I knew about the rod was spare the rod, spoil the child, right? I'm not even sure that's in there, right? But all I knew is that that one got said to me a whole lot. <laughs> but, but anyway, you know, I didn't understand how the rod was comforting. But for a sheep, knowing those little touches from the rod and those little touches from the staff, let them know that, hey, I'm still here. I'm still looking out for you. I'm still watching out for you. So this idea that God with us for some of us is a source of great comfort. For those of us uh, who, who need those little reminders, um, you know, God will give you reminders of his presence. You know, we, we have short term memory. 
you know, it, and, and that applies to all, uh, all areas of our life. It, you know, it, it, we, we, we have a tendency to remember what happened most recently, you know, and, and you see it sometimes. You know, we're big sports fans at my house, and sometimes we follow different players as they go on from college, and then they play in the professional leagues and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and it's so awkward sometimes when you get to the end of their career where it's like, man, they've, they've worked so hard. They played, they sacrificed, they, 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 they sacrificed their body and their health to, to, uh, for the benefit of this team and to make things work out. And then you come to the end of the career, and, and then they don't get the contract renewed, and they get let go from the team. And, and it's kind of awkward because it's like, well, what have you done for me lately? And the thing is, sometimes we can get that way with God. You know, if we begin to feel like, you know, uh, God, I haven't heard from you lately. You're not, you're not speaking to me as clearly as you used to, or, or I don't know really what's going on. And, and so even though I recognize that in my past, you've done some mighty things to help me, uh, I'm going to begin to doubt you now because I can't see the answer now. And so for some of us, we need those reminders of God's presence. So that's why we need to meditate on this idea that God is with us. All right. For others of us, this idea that God is with us is a source of hope, right? Some of us have have had a pretty rough rough road to hoe in life. You know what I'm saying? Some of us circumstances that come against us, it's like, man, uh, they don't deserve that. You know, and and sometimes it can feel like you're getting kicked while you're down. And so this idea that God is with you is a source of hope for you. Um, and if you focus on this idea that God is with you. It can be a source of hope. Charles Spurgeon said, If God be with us, we have all sufficient strength, for nothing can be too difficult for the Lord. If God be with us, we're always safe, for none can harm those who walk under his shadow. Oh, what joy we have here. Not only is God with us, but he will be with us as individuals, as families, and as churches. Is not the very name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us? Is not this the best of all that God is with us? Let us be bravely diligent and joyously hopeful. This idea that God is with us, it, it's a source of hope. And I got to tell you, sometimes you look around and it's hard to find hope. You, you, you begin to see that, you know, I mean, eventually we realize that we will face a situation that is hopeless. It will come in all of our lives. Why? Because it's appointed unto men once to die. At some point, we're all going to get to that place where the doctor says, that's it. That's all I can do. It's over. You know, that's just how it works in life. And yet our source of hope is that God is with us. But here's something further. God with us is more than just something we know. It's more than just a comfort to us. And it's more than just a source of hope for the future. The fact that God is with us can give us a radical shift in the way we look and interpret everything that happens in our lives. And so we can ask ourselves, what would it look like if I lived my life as if God was right beside me at all times? And here's where it gets a little bit uh, uncomfortable sometimes, because there's times when I wouldn't mind having God by my side, right? When I'm at church, I got my clothes on, I got my church clothes on, I brushed my teeth, it was bath week, I'm looking good, I'm smelling good, right? I've got all my ducks in a row. I don't mind if God's beside me then. I don't want God beside me when I've got strep throat, my breath smells like death, I haven't taken a shower in three days, my eyes are bloodshot and falling out of my face. You know, 
we, we have times in our life where we don't want anybody to be around us. And yet we have to understand that God is with us at all times. We like to compartmentalize our lives. We try to divide things up and we say, well, I'm going to act this way in this situation. I'm going to act this way in this situation and, and this way in this situation. And so sometimes we get to a place where we, we almost seem like we're completely different people. I remember that, especially when I was younger. I remember as a teenager, um, and, and I've shared this some, uh, with some of the younger people in our church, but when I was uh, a teenager, I was a pastor's kid. And so therefore, you know, everybody had that, you know, typical, oh, well, you're the pastor's kid. You're the goody two shoes, right? You won't do things that you shouldn't do because you're afraid of what will happen. And, and so, you know, and, and like most pastor's kids, I went the other way. I said, well, you think I won't say that word? I'll say that one and three times worse, you know? And, and so... Uh, you know, there, there, there came a time where, you know, I had allowed things to creep into my language. I had allowed behaviors to creep into my life, habits that I shouldn't have. They got into me and they became a part of me. But do you think I showed those things when I was with mom and dad? No, I didn't. Right. And, and we think that we can do the same thing with God. We think that we can, okay, I can, I can clean up and I can look good on Sunday, but guess what? God's not just with you on Sunday. He's with you on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday. All right? So he's with you the whole time. And so we try to act differently in different situations. We might want to say, oh, I love everybody. I give of my time. I volunteer. I serve. Uh, you know, I, I go and I serve underprivileged people. And, and I give money to missions and all that. But then I get in the car and I cuss people out and I cut people off. And, 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 I, and I race them to the stoplight. You know, we, we try to think that just because I'm in a different situation that I can act differently. But that's not what God wants. And, and, and what we realize is that God is with us when we're serving and when we're doing what we should be doing. And he's with us when we're doing what we shouldn't be doing. And see, that's why so many times Christians get this, this accusation of hypocrisy, right? How many people have you heard say, I'm not going to go to church because it's full of hypocrites? And why is that? It's because we act differently in different situations. Jesus even talks about this. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be the person you're supposed to be, you know, and don't try to compartmentalize. We also, this idea that God is with us, it combats this idea that we can give God a partial surrender. All right? We can put walls up. We can say, God, I'm going to let you into this part of my life, but I'm not going to let you into that part of my life. All right, I'm ready to turn this part of my life over to you, but I'm not ready to turn that part over. God, I want you to bless me financially, but I'm not ready to forgive that person that wronged me. You know, and so we want to divide up our life and we want to uh, put walls up and we can choose not to acknowledge God's presence in our life, but that doesn't mean that he's not still there. See, God is not just a factory option that you can add on to your life right? It, it, it's not just uh, something that's tacked on to the side. You know, God is with you 24-7. He's with you when you are, uh, when you get up in the morning and you're reading your Bible and you're praying and you're, you're singing hymns of praise to him. He's, he's right there with you. And he's right there in your room when you're passed out asleep with your mouth hanging open and drool and snoring. He's right there with you then. He's right there when you're encouraging your coworker who's going through a hard time. And, and he's so proud of you for reaching out and, and, and being a, a source of grace in that person's of life. 
and then he's right there beside you when you're making faces at the guy who just walked away from the counter because he was rude to you. He's there through all of it. And God doesn't just want to be an add-on. So we ask ourselves, what would it be like if I lived my life as though God was with me at all times? What would my career look like? You know, where would I work? How many hours would I work? What kind of an effort would I put in? Right? We ask those kinds of things. What about my family? How would my family look if I realized that God isn't just with us when we're sitting on the pew and, and all of us are lined up, right? But God's also with us at the Thanksgiving table where we're you know, screaming at each other because someone brought up the president or whatever, uh, or someone bad-mouthed my team. We have to understand that God is with us. God is there when you've had a bad day, right? And you walk in, and, and I know we've all had that experience where you walk in the door because of the other thing that's happened in your life, you walk in, and then somebody in your family does something to annoy you, probably for the 837th time that week, and you just unload both barrels on them, right? And you just let them have it. How many times have I told you you can't leave your room like this? How many times have I told you that you have to take care of your chores before you get to play on the, on the machine? How many times have I told you not to throw your socks in the floor when the hamper's right there? And we unload both barrels. And God's standing there right then. How many times have someone in our family come to us and said, I'm going through a tough time. I just need, I just need someone to listen to me. God can be with you in those moments too. We say, what would my finances look like if I lived my life as though God was beside me all the time? So yeah, God is with you when they pass the baskets today and he saw you drop in what you dropped in. But God is also with you when you wasted money on stuff that you knew you shouldn't have spent money on. He's there through it all. What if my free time I was lived as though God was with me? Some of us would be ashamed if God knew what we did in our free time. Well, let me, you know, newsflash, he already knows, right? And so we have to understand that we have to live our lives as though God is with us at all times. What about our relationships? You know, how many times are we hanging out with people we know we shouldn't be hanging out with? Talking to people who aren't lifting us up, they're tearing us down. They're keeping us from being who God desires us to be. So we have to understand that every conversation we have is not done on its own, but it's done in the presence of God. Uh, if the musicians want to come on up, we're getting towards the end of this, and I, I want to try and, and, and get this idea home to you, though, uh, is that God is with us at all times, and we can live our lives with that knowledge firm in our mind, firm in our spirit. We can not only know it, but we can feel it, and we can live our life as though that is a possibility. Um, I read a book uh, one time because I felt like my prayer life was getting a little stale, right? I felt like I was going through the same motions. I was doing the same things over and over again. You know, I, 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 you, you know you, you've all seen like the little kids who when they sit down at the dinner table, they say the same little rote prayer. They don't probably even know what half the words mean, but they just, that's what we say before we eat. And so they do it. And so sometimes even as an adult, it can feel that way. And so I was reading this book and it was talking about prayer and it was talking about some different methods of prayer, some different things you can do to kind of spice up your prayer life and, and, and to, to just get you out of that rut. And one of the things it said that you should do is 
if there's an empty chair in the room, wherever you're at, just imagine that God's sitting in that chair. And so, you know, that was pretty interesting to me. I, I thought, you know, well, I can do that. I can try it. It felt a little weird at first, right? But, you know, I, when I'm sitting at the house, I, you know, I, I know I'm a big fella, but I don't take up the whole couch. So when I sit on the couch, that means there's a couple of empty spots next to me. And so as I was praying one day, I just tried to imagine, what would it be like if God was sitting on this couch right next to me? How would I talk to him? What would I be doing right now? You know, what would I be doing? And, and so that's an exercise that I have begun to do uh, that helps me focus on the fact that God is with me at all times. And see, you can do that whether you're sitting on the couch at home. You can do it when you're in the car. All right? When I was a kid, um, my grandmother was very, very strict. You know, she came from the old school Pentecostal. You know, you, you didn't wear, you know, girls didn't wear pants. You didn't go to the movies because those were from the devil. You know, there were very limited television shows that were okay to watch. Basically, if it wasn't, you know, uh, Ponderosa, what is it? Is that the name of the show? Ponderosa? Has it been that long? Or Andy Griffith or Perry Mason? Anyway, if, if it wasn't one of those, you couldn't watch it, right? Because that was un, it was ungodly. And, and I remember there were shows that we watched that weren't on Grandma's approved list. And so sometimes we, when we would go to Grandma's house, we would have to pretend like we didn't even know what that show was, right? Uh, I, I've, never, I've never heard of, you know, Family Matters, or I've never heard, and, and you know, I know those are innocent uh, compared to what's on the TV today, but we, we would pretend like we didn't even know what that was. And so I remember it, it was kind of an interesting point to me because I, I tried to think, I was like, okay, uh, would I be watching this show if Grandma were sitting next to me? Would I be listening to this song if Grandma were in the car with me, Right? And, and as a child, that was my way. Grandma, grandma, as godly as she was, she was that stand-in for God. Now as an adult, my grandma's gone. And my, I'm not accountable to my grandma, but I am still accountable to God. And so sometimes I still run through that exercise. Would I be watching this if God were sitting on the couch next to me? And so we have to understand that God is with you. God is with you in your best times, and he's with you in your worst times. He was with you when you got a promotion at work because they recognized the contribution that you'd given. They gave you a pay bump. Maybe they gave you a title. They might have even put you in an office. You got an office with a door. You're not even in a cubicle anymore. You got a door. Man, you're moving up in the world. God was there with you. He was rejoicing alongside of you. And he was also there when you bombed that presentation and you got in trouble. God was there when you did something you shouldn't have done and you broke a policy and you got fired. He was there for that too. God is with us in everything. God is with us when we exercise self-control, when we avoid temptation, when we don't do those things that, that are a constant battle. How many of you guys have a battle that you have to fight pretty much every day in your life? I do, right? I do. There are certain things that, that become habits, that become strongholds in our life, and we have to fight that temptation. And so God is with you when you won, when you beat that temptation, when you won that struggle. But he was also there when you fell off the bandwagon, right? He was also there when you fell short. God is with you when in your moments of greatest compassion, when you see somebody who's in need or you see somebody who's hurting, when, when, when they're 
this person pops into your mind and you reach out to them, you give them a phone call, you, you send them a card, you just let them know, I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you. He was there when you did all that. And he was also there in your moments of greatest selfishness. He's with you through it all. He was there when you were an encouragement to others. He was there when you built people up with your words. He was there when you, 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 you pushed people on to greater things. And he was also there when you tore them down. God was there uh, at the birth of your child when you reached down and you put your little pinky finger in their hand and they wrapped their fingers around it for the first time. He was there in that moment of joy and, and, and happiness. And he was also there with you when you were holding the hand of a loved one that was passing on. He's with you in your joy. He's with you in your grief. He's with you in your, in your happiness. He's with you in your sadness. He's there in your success. He's there in your failure. God is with us no matter what. We like to hide our ugly from others, right? We put on our super slim and maxi dress, right? We, we wear our Spanx. Right? We put on our makeup. We do all those things because we want to hide that ugly. We don't, we're, we're afraid for people to see what we would look like. You know, we, we don't want people to see us when we're not at our best. But we can't hide our ugly from God. All right? He's seen it before. I heard a story of a, of a man who, uh, he was being blackmailed, and they said, I have pictures of you in a compromising position. And he knew it was a scam. He, he, he understood like he'd seen about this scam before. He knew it wasn't real. They said, we have pictures of you in, an un, in a compromising position. And, and if you don't send us this money, we're going to, we're going to release these uh, photos into the world. And, and, uh, and so he wrote them back because he knew the whole thing was fake. And he said, go ahead, send me your photos. Let me see what you got. And they said, oh, you don't want to see this. You don't want to see what we've got on you. He's like, I've seen it all. I've seen the ugly. I look in the mirror every morning. There ain't nothing you can have on me that would embarrass me, right? And it's the same way with God. There's nothing for us to be embarrassed about, right? Because we're not going to push God away and we're not going to drive him away. He's seen you at your worst, all right? He's seen it all. And so when we understand that God is with us, it can change how we view life, all right? And here's the thing. In, in our world, loneliness is becoming more and more of a problem. And it, I might have mentioned this before, uh, but in the UK, they actually ha now have a cabinet-level position that is the minister of loneliness because there's so many people who are struggling with loneliness and depression and, and suicide and, and all of these things, we feel so cut off. And you think, <clears throat> excuse me, you say, how can that be? We live in a world where all I have to do is pull out this phone and I can be connected to my friend who lives in Georgia or my friend who lives in the United States or, 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 or in Florida or, or California, where, wherever it is, I can pull this out and I can, I can send them a message. Hey, how are your kids doing? And so we feel like we're connected and yet we're so lonely. But we have to understand that God is with us no matter what. So listen, Christmas and the Advent season, preparing for the holidays, and, and the holidays kicked off. For us, we typically wait till Thanksgiving, right? That starts the holiday season. I know some of you crazies have had your lights up since August, right? But, but we're entering this time where it's going to get busier and busier. When I look at my calendar for the month of December, I don't think there's a weekend where I don't have some kind of a Christmas party or an event or a banquet or, or, or uh, something that I have to do, right? And so as we enter into this time, um, many things are fighting for your attention. 
but you can decide what you're going to pay attention to, right? And, and, and that is something that, that I have learned as I have grown in Christ. I can't control what pops in my head, but I control what I allow to stay there. I can't control what grabs my attention, but I can control what holds my attention. And so as we enter into this time of, of, of Christmas and, and holiday preparation, I want you guys to keep this idea in mind that God is with you, okay? So what do, how do we do that? Meditate on Jesus' birth. Think about it, all right? Every time you see, every time you see a, a nativity scene, think about what does that mean for me? What does it mean that Christ came and lived amongst us? What does it mean that he's going to be with me till the end of the age? All right? Meditate on those things. You got to train yourself what to notice, right? You got you to train yourself. And, and like I said, at this time of year, it's real easy to notice the negatives, to notice the people shoving each other out of the way so they can grab a $20 crock pot. It's real easy to see the people that are, that are uh, fighting because someone cut in line in front of them at Starbucks. You know, we can focus on those things or we can focus on the fact that God is with us. This whole season, this Advent season was designed for us to put our eyes back on God and to recognize that he's with us in everything. And then if you understand that God is with you, don't just know it up here and don't just feel it in here, but live your life as though it's true, right? It, it's crazy to say, I believe that this thing is true, but then not back it up with your actions. So if you believe that God is with you, how is that going to play out in your life? What's it going to look like? How are you going to modify the way you talk to people? How are you going to modify the way you treat people? How are you going to modify the way you spend your time? How are you going to change the way you spend your money? How are you going to change the way that you interpret things that are said to you? How are you going to change the way that you uh, uh, say things? All right? Communication's a big deal. And so if God is with us, that should have an effect on everything we do. So as we close today, I just want to pray. And I want to say, there are those of us I know in this room that are going through some tough things right now. There are people in this congregation that have family members that are sick and it doesn't look good. There are, there are people in this congregation that are having relationship issues. Maybe it's with a, a, a spouse or, or a, a child or a coworker or a neighbor or, or distant relative. There are people who uh, are just dealing with some things with financial struggles. And in all of this, we need to understand that God is with you, all right? And he's for you, and he's in you, but most of all, he's with you. And, and sometimes, just that fact that he's with us is all the difference in the world. Because when you feel like you're facing things alone, it can get easy to get beaten down. But as we go through this busy time, I want you to understand, God is with you through it all. Father God... We thank you for this message today. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus that came to us 2,000 years ago, who lowered himself, who didn't find it uh, to, to be too much of, of a dishonor, who came to live in flesh with us so that he could pave a way 
so that we could be with you forever in heaven. Father God, as we live our lives, Lord, we're entering a busy season. Lord, some of us, our, our, our whole world gets turned upside down during this, this holiday season, this holiday part of the year. Father God, I pray that your presence would be real to each and every person in this room. Father God, I pray that you would open our eyes. I pray that you would help us to notice those little signs that you are with us. Father God, I pray that you would help us to interpret things uh, with an understanding that you are there and we're not alone and that we don't face it on our own. Father God, I pray that you would help us to fight this urge to compartmentalize and try to section off parts of our lives so that we can live one way one day and another way the next. Father, help us to be people of integrity who who's, do what we say we're going to do, who speak what we should speak, who, who do the things we're supposed to do. Father God, I know that you will be with us, that you are with us always, and I pray that you would help us to live as though that were true. And we pray in Jesus' name.